to the book of Acts. And I want you to rest your eyes on verses 1 through 4 in the book of Acts. Actually, 1 through 5. If you have it, say amen. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads, 16 soldiers, to keep him intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, say but, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time that we have to come before your very throne. God, nothing shall be impossible to those who have faith. You have said if we abide in you and your word abides in us, we can desire and ask whatever we please and you will do it. God, prayer can do whatever you can do. God, we know that with much prayer, there will be much power. With little prayer, there's little power. You said in your word, men ought to always pray lest we faint. And so God, now we are coming that you might prick our hearts, oh God. Stir us up. Cause us to realize the urgency of the hour so that we will turn to you, calling out your name, that you may hear us. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. We praise the Lord. Things happen. When the church prays together, say that. Things happen when the church prays together. A family outing at the Panama City Beach of four nearly turned tragic when two of the sons from this family found themselves in the ocean trapped in, in um, riptides. The mother and another relative seeing their sons in danger, they immediately dashed from the shore into the ocean to rescue their two sons and their family member only to find themselves caught up and stuck in riptide. Five other people noticed the four yelling in the ocean from the shore, and they too decided to rescue this family of four 
only to find themselves also stuck in riptides. A man walking along the shore saw the desperation of two that became four and four that became nine, decided that what needed to happen, one, one person could not do it. No one lifeguard could save the nine that were now trapped in these riptides. No, this would take more than two or three people because of the size of those who were in imminent danger. And so he quickly came up with the idea of organizing beach goers. And, 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 he, and he challenged them to link hands and some 70 to 80 people linked hands from the shore to the ocean to where those who were drowning needed to be rescued. And by the 70 and 80 linking their hands together, they were able to reach the ocean from the shore and bring the nine to safety. When they found themselves safe on shore, the paramedics came to attend to the nine, but the 70 and 80 people began to high-five and to hug and to celebrate and, and jump for joy at the power of coming together to save people could accomplish. When people come together, there's power. There's power in numbers when you have a common goal. Somebody say amen. Reaching people that are stuck in the rip currents of life takes more than two or three Christians. Sometimes God won't move on behalf of those who are in dire straits until the church comes together for corporate prayer. You don't have to be a serious student of the Bible to discover multiple examples of what happens when the church comes together and prays. Sick people are healed. Satanic strongholds are broken. Sinners get saved. Spiritual gifts are revealed and activated. Stingy people stop stealing from God. Single folk get married. Hallelujah. Stubborn hearts are softened by the power of the Holy Spirit, and suffering from plagues are caused to cease. When the people of God get serious about coming into the throne room of heaven with full confidence that God will hear us, and give us grace and mercy to help us. In Acts chapter 12, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to a spiritual emergency situation. The church has received some terrible news. The apostle Paul has been placed on a death row into a death row cell. He has less than 24 hours to live before his head is removed by an executioner's sword in a public square. It's all settled 
King Herod had it all lined up. It was all a fact that was, in his mind, a conclusion. In Acts chapter 12, verse 5, we are provided a flashing red light that informs us of the imminency of the danger the church and Peter faced. The Bible says, but Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Something happens when the church prays together. Now, before we consider fully the apostle Peter's situation, I want you to take notice of what occurs in verses 1 through 4. The scripture says that King Herod had James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, who the Bible, Jesus called the, the sons of thunder or hell raisers. <laughs> he had James arrested. And he was so arrogant in his intentions to stop the word of God from going forward that he gave orders for James' head to be cut off with a sword. And the scripture says that the people were pleased that James was executed because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I find it interesting that when James is arrested, there's no indication of a conjunction like but. Maybe the church assumed, like in previous times when the apostles were arrested, they were simply released. And this would be no different that James would go to jail and he would be released. And so there was no need, there was no sense of alarm or urgency that the church needed a but. The enemy had his plans, but the church, there was no indication that the church came together and prayed. My question is, is, is it possible that if the church had come together in the same way they prayed for Peter, would God have spared James? I wonder today if there's some situations in your life that if the church had prayed for you, if there had been a but in your situation, a conjunction, that maybe the outcome would have been different. And I, I hear some people saying, well, it was just James's time. And, and when it's time for you to go, you're going to go. But I, I read in Isaiah chapter 38 that the prophet Isaiah spoke to Hezekiah. And he said, Hezekiah, king, may, you may be king. But God sent me to tell you to get your house in order. You are not going to recover from your sickness. You are going to die. Prophet left to leave the palace, and the scripture says, but Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he stretched out his hands, and he began to pray, and he asked God to do what only he could do. Before Isaiah could leave the palace, God gave him a new message. 
to return back to Hezekiah and say, I have decided to lengthen your life by 15 years. I want you to know that God can change his will, and it's still his will. And, and, and somehow in him changing his plan for Hezekiah, prayer was involved. I want you to know that prayer can change the heart of God when his people come together and recognize something happens when the church prays. I wonder if you understood the power of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, talking about the church. And he says, if you touch and come into agreement in prayer, you can pray for things to be loosed on earth or bound on earth, and that agreement that Christians come into through prayer will cause God to loose and to bound what he's already decreed in eternity past to occur in human history as, as it relates to the current situation you're praying for. There's power when Christians come together and pray. Now, <clears throat> sometimes we get in circles and we're praying with people, but you're not in agreement with them. You're still angry with them. You still remember they didn't speak to you when you came in. And I want you to know the devil will use that to keep us from coming into agreement because God works through agreement. So I'm asking the church to come together in agreement that we are going to, we are going to attack the very, the very territory that the devil has stolen in the power of prayer. And as we touch and agree, some things are going to be broken and loosed. Anybody need anything broken and loosed? I want you to know that is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 12. After James died, the church got the, the memo. We, we need to bring out the heavy artillery. So we see the problem that caused the church to pray corporately is that leadership was under attack. The enemy wants to destroy the church primarily by attacking the leaders of the church. And let me just add, when you get serious about Jesus, and I know that some of you have really made up your mind that you're going to be what the Lord wants you to be, don't be confused <laughs> when you come under attack. Because now you are in the will of God and you become a threat to the enemy. And so the enemy attacks the leadership first. And so what begins to occur is the church realizes that this is a serious issue because the very existence of the church is threatened. Now, notice who the enemy attacked. He attacked James and Peter. They were apostles in the church. And the church is now about 12 years old in, the, in Jerusalem. It started on the day of Pentecost. And it grows from 3,000. And now the church is believed to be about 30,000 members. So Peter and James and John, et cetera, are, are three of the 12 apostles that are leading the church and being assisted 
by the seven deacons that were appointed in Acts chapter 6. Now, what's interesting is, and I was really thinking about my spiritual son, Isaiah, is that when the Lord called James and John, the two brothers, the sons of Zebedee, they were teenagers. They were teenagers. And they were trained for three years, and maybe by the time they became official apostles, they might have been 20 years old. So you don't have to be old as Methuselah to be called to a life of service in God's work. Somebody say amen. I believe that God's call is upon more people to be in ministry than we are really willing to recognize or to accept. Now, why does God, why does Satan target leaders in the church? Listen to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. The Bible says, Awake, sword against my shepherd, against the man who is chose, who is close to me. Let me read that again. Awake, sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my head against the little ones. Now, although this passage is actually a rebuke against false shepherds, against shepherds who are disobedient to God, what the Lord indicates is that the shepherd's judgment is his job. He says, I, this is a, so this is the verse of rebuke of God pronouncing divine judgment on the shepherds. And not only is God pronouncing judgment on the shepherds, but when the shepherd, when the head is removed because of divine discipline, the next thing that occurs, he says, the sheep will scatter. And we've seen this in churches where the pastor falls. And not long after the pastor falls, the church starts to clean out or clear out. Not everybody leaves, but the ones who leave are the ones that Paul, Peter warned about. He says, beware, be on guard, be alert, that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion who roams to and fro seeking who he may devour. Who does he devour? The strays, the new Christians, the baby Christians. And so he says, I'm going to bring judgment on the leader of the church, the shepherd, the shepherd, singularly. I'm coming after the shepherd for being disobedient. And when the shepherd falls, the sheep scatter, and because they are scattered, they will be left without protection. When he says, I'm going to bring my rod against the people, he's actually saying, sheep without a shepherd are unprotected. Every Christian needs a pastor. Every, all of us are, I even need a pastor, <laughs> So sheep need a pastor, and so when you are not being shepherded, and we got a lot of Christians who are just dating the Lord and, and, and floating around and not settling down, you, you are sheep without a shepherd Amen. and without the shepherd's protection, you are unguarded. Now, so we see that he attacks leaders because if he can get the shepherd if he can get the other elders and deacons, to, the more prominent the role, the greater the devastation on the church. So he targets leaders. And so one of the things we want to do when we come together, we want to especially lift up the pastor and the elders and the deacons and, and others who are serving 
and frontline capacities for the Lord. Now, how does the enemy attack leadership? First, one of his first weapons of choice is division. The scripture says a kingdom that is divided against itself cannot stand. A house that is divided cannot stand. And so the enemy will come against the church by trying to divide it through its leadership, by sowing seeds of discord. Are you with me? Another way the enemy attacks leadership is through discouragement. Every great leader has to overcome the attack of discouragement. I don't know how many times I've wanted to quit. <laughs> now, not recently, <laughs> but uh, I had my old stuff written up, my whole resignation. I'm done. I'm finished. This ain't working. I failed. I am not good at this. And this is not, I may have uh, mistaken God's call questioning everything and measuring success by the size of the church or the size of the budget and accolades and uh, being my worst enemy. That's, that, that's been my experience. But my experience is not unique to me. And many pastors who struggle with discouragement, and that's why whenever you can encourage a shepherd who's feeding you, who's blessing you, you ought to go out of your way to do it. God says that a shepherd that is feeding you is worthy of double honor. You ought to be encouraging the shepherd, and not just me, but anybody that's serving on the front line. If God is using them to bless you, you ought to be praying for them and, and letting them know, I remember you when I go before the Lord in prayer, and I, I, I want to show you in tangible ways that you bless me. And so discouragement is also a, a very effective tool because if the devil can discourage the leader, that he is going to be ineffective for the Lord. Another way uh, the devil attacks leadership is through distraction caused, caused by carnal interest. There are a lot of people who are in leadership that download their sermons every Sunday, download their classes, pleasurize. They, don't know, they wouldn't know what original thought is if it dropped in their, if God put it in their lap. There are people who are just, who are hirelings who, are, who, are, who, who use the ministry to, to line their pockets. There are people who are joined churches for titles. They have no interest in serving. They just want to have that white suit so they can sit in the front of the church and rock their head back and forward and get the, that deacon so-and-so. Look how he rocks. He rocks to the right and she rocks to the left. And they rock at the same time. Oh, they, oh man, they really coordinated in Jesus. Had nothing to do with Jesus distracted by carnal desires. There are people who have no interest, who are in leadership, to break a sweat for Jesus. They only serve out of convenience. If it, if it, like, there are going to be some folk who ain't going to get up at 6 o'clock. They don't do, I don't do 6 o'clock. Well, I want you to know that Jesus did more than 6 o'clock. The Jesus that we serve, he went to the cross, and he died, and he could have come down. So there are too many Christians that are distracted by carnal interests. We got this thing on cruise control. We're going to get to heaven, and whenever we get there, but we're going to have some fun. We're going to have a lot of the world and a little bit of Jesus. Give me a dollar's worth of Jesus. <laughs> and 99, our, most, our, our interest is divided. Here's the final thing, and there are many other reasons, but this demonic attacks through temptation and testing. Every test has a potential to be a temptation 
to lead us away from the Lord in sin. And so what the enemy does, the problem that the church faced was that the leadership was under attack. James was the first martyr. And what's interesting about that, if you trace the story, going back to Matthew chapter 20, you remember the story, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus one day. And after Jesus said, I'm getting ready to enter into my kingdom. I'm going into Jerusalem, and I'm going to be turned over into the hands of evil men. And so she comes, and she gets real spiritual. She bows down. She came to the altar at the feet of Jesus, and she's about to worship the Lord. And she, I, can, I don't know if she spoke or something, but she got down, and she bowed. And then she lifted her head, and she said, by the way, Jesus, I hear you talking about your kingdom, and, and, and you're coming into your, your authority. And uh, you see these two fine boys, these macho men that put me up to talking for them? They got real courage. That's why they got me speaking on their behalf. When you get into your kingdom, would you allow my sons to sit on your right hand and your left? I don't care which one's on the left or right hand, but make sure they are in the most prominent positions. And then Jesus says to James and John, do you understand what your mother's asking? Are you willing to drink the cup? Are you willing to bear your cross? Are you really willing to suffer as a leader? Identify with me. They say, yeah, we can do it. Oh, yeah. And then Jesus said something that was really amazing that they, pro- they did, obviously didn't understand time. He said, you will drink of the cup. And so the first of all of the disciples that died for Jesus, it was James. He drank the cup. His head was severed. Jesus said, you will drink the cup. He was the youngest of the disciples. He and John, he was the first to die. And then John, the, the brother, is the was the longest disciple to live, but he also drank the cup because he was the one who wrote the book of Revelation. He was exiled on Patmos, and it was on the day of the Lord that he received the vision of the end times. But the Bible says at the end of his life, according to church history, John too drank of the cup. He was thrown into a cauldron, into a drum, and he was boiled to death until he died. One of the things that the enemy is doing is attacking church leadership. We're so used to pastors failing and being uh, what they're not supposed to be and leaders being un, un, not what they're supposed to be. We don't get upset about it. But the Lord says, I will deal with the shepherd. And so what <coughs> was necessary is what we see next, the proper response. The proper response to serious problems in the church is corporate prayer. There's some time when you just, you, just, you just can't push the car by yourself. There's some time you're really in a ditch. There's some times when, you, when you're really in trouble. You, you need some help, some real help. And this was one of those times when the church was literally new enough to hang in the balance and the church needed to do something. So Peter was kept in prison, but, but, but the church constantly prayed. Now, what some Christians don't understand, that Peter did understand because while he was kept in prison, the Bible says, the night before he was to be executed, he was, there were 16 guards assigned to him. He was, he was handcuffed with, with, with shackles between two as he, as he was in, the, in this death row cell. But the scripture said he, was, he slept. The night before he was going to be executed, he was peacefully sleeping. 
Peter had settled in his mind some things about the God being in control. But, but, but what's one thing that I realize Christians, some Christians don't get is salvation doesn't exempt you from problems. Salvation doesn't exempt you from problems. I want you to know that we will, we will. Jesus said, while you're in the world, you will have trials and tribulations. Somebody say amen. I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. You don't have to uh, uh, be patient with me today because this is powerful. Paul says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Paul was planting churches as a, as a missionary pastor. He said, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And then he adds, and there are many who oppose me. So on the one hand, as a Christian, he says, I'm going to stay right here where I'm planning a church in Ephesus. Opportunity doors have been opened. God said, I've set before you an open door. But in between the door, getting from where God has placed you to where God wants you to go, there's opposition. There's hell in the hall. You can be in the center of the will of God. And opportunities are all around you. God is blessing what you touch. But don't get tricked to think that the devil is just going to leave you alone. Salvation doesn't exempt you. Status doesn't exempt you. You can be saved for, you can be a mature Christian. You're going to catch it. The Bible says, count it all joy when you experience diverse testing. Here's the other thing that we don't sometimes understand in terms of properly responding when troubles come is that some problems that we go through remain. The scripture says he was kept in prison. He was there for multiple days. There are some things that you will experience that you will pray for again and again and you will never be delivered from that, whatever that thing is, until the day you're in heaven. Oh, no, that can't happen. There's power in prayer. Well, Paul said, he said, he put like, Paul speaks again. He's talking about the thorn he had. He said, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. I was given a thorn to torment me in three times, three different segments of time in his life. He said, I pleaded with the Lord that he would take it away. But he said, no, no, my grace is sufficient. We don't know what that thorn was, but we do know that the tormentor was Paul's mentor. I like the way a preacher recently said it. God used that thorn to mentor, to keep Paul humble. And he came to learn that God's grace is sufficient, that God's grace, he says, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so there's some things that you're going to wrestle with, some anxieties, some trying to keep that weight under control, to keep your blood pressure right. And that's going to be a battle until you go to the Lord to be with him in glory. Some problems continue. Satan's goal, here's another thing that some Christians don't understand. Satan's goal is to use our problems to bind us. He desired to shut Peter down, but the go he was attacking the word. The devil will do whatever he can to keep the word from coming into your life and for you sharing it with others. Right. Anybody ever have any difficulty studying the word? 
Well, this, all this attack on the church was to stop the preaching about Jesus. Yeah. Satan doesn't have to put any of us, many of us in jail today. We ain't talking about Jesus. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you intentionally tried to lead another person to Christ? I want you to know what the world needs today. And we need another stimulus. Oh, give us another stimulus check. That stimulus check ain't stopped our hearts from being hateful. Stimulus checks haven't stopped us from being racist. Stimulus checks haven't stopped us from shooting people down just because they looked at a, uh, somebody that uh, had different skin color. What we need is Jesus. Because <laughs> it's Jesus that will cause us to become new creations in him. And so we see the proper way to respond is not based on what people often think. Salvation doesn't exempt you. Satan is after you to keep you from sharing the word. Don't let the devil put, to bind you, to control you, to dominate you by fear, by oppressing you, to, to be more concerned about what people think about you than what they think about Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to give you power. When, when the Holy Ghost has come, you shall receive power. And you shall be, you shall be, not just when we come to church, but you shall be my witnesses. Where? In, outside the church in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We are here to tell people about Jesus. And when we do, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. There's power in the gospel when I share it. You might be planting, others may come behind you and water, but God will give the increase. We're so busy worrying about what people think about us that they never get to see Jesus. You ought to be telling people about Jesus every opportunity that you can. Now, how you respond reveals a lot about you. When you have problems, when you have issues, yeah, I mean, give me a glass. I'm going to give me something. I'm going to calm my nerve down. Go get my music and, and, or whatever your drug of choice is. You know, I'm just going to sleep this one throughout. I'm so, I'm so depressed. I'm going to eat another steak. I'm so depressed. I don't think I'm going to go to work for three weeks. I'm so depressed. How do you respond when you are facing problems? In this case, what, ha what, what, what happens is, is how they respond, it reveals some things about them. Your faith in the fact that God can handle your problems is revealed by how you respond. <laughs> Amen, how you respond. They prayed to God on behalf of Peter. That ought to be your go-to. Your faith is on display. Your fervency, they kept on praying. Your faith, your fervency is revealed. The Bible said that the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous avail of much. We need to keep on praying. We need to be like Jacob. When Jacob was wrestling with the angel, and the angel said, the day is about to break. He said, I ain't letting you go until you bless me. We ought to pray like the church did it. They prayed fervently. Yeah, we're going to pray from 6 to 6 to six thirty in the morning. That's going to come, come and go so quickly. But if the Holy Spirit is working on you, you need to stay on your knees and keep on calling until the blessing is released. Your fervency is revealed. Not only is your fervency revealed, but your focus, your focus will be revealed. They turned their eyes away from what was happening down at the jail cell to the God who could open the jail cell. They focused on the Lord. David said, my feet almost slipped 
when I saw how the wicked were prospering and how they never seemed to get sick and how they always seemed to get away with, with lying and cheating. And, and he said, but when I looked and I looked up to the hills from whence cometh my help and I recognized my help comes from the Lord, I was able to get past. So when your focus is right, your faith and fervency, that's the proper response to problems. Let me run through the power of God is activated while, while the church was still praying. Oh, I like what Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24 says. God speaking, when the church was praying, and they didn't know what the outcome was going to be, God had already worked it out. Watch this, watch this. The prophet said, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they're still speaking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. Now, here's, here's it. Watch this. When you get a chance, please read this fast. The sequence. Peter is in jail. He's sleeping between two guards. Two guards at the gate, and then there, then there are 12 others that are throughout the prison to make sure he doesn't escape. Now, that's in real time. Now, while Peter is experiencing this in real time, the church is at, Rhoda, at, 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 at the mother of Mark's house praying. That's happening. But in, on heaven's time... <laughs> God has dispatched an angel. And, and Peter doesn't know. The church doesn't know. The guards don't know. But the angel just appears in the jail. And he, and he, he speaks and he, he, he turns some light on so Peter could see. And then, he, then the Bible said he, he shook Peter and woke him up. And then he told him where to go and put, put your clothes on. I ain't going to be going out here half-dressed. Go, go out here with everything you brought and you take it with you. And so he dresses up, he gets it, and he listens to everything the angel says. He's walking through the gates, no guards are saying anything, no alarms are going off. And then he finally gets to the gate, and the gates open, and then the angel disappears. So in real time, Peter doesn't have a clue that the church's prayer has already been answered. He doesn't even know it was. Here's how this works. You may be experiencing a miracle you may be experiencing a miracle without even knowing it until it's over. <laughs> the, he, he didn't even know that you were you in the middle of your miracle. You remember the man in John chapter 9? He was blind and Jesus spit on the ground and he put the spit on it, the, the dirt on his eyes. And he said, go to the pool of Salome and watch. And so he did what, the, what Jesus said. He went to the pool, but he was still blind. And the Bible says he was able to see when he returned. The miracle had already occurred when Jesus put this. Oh, my God. You may be in the middle of your miracle right now because God has already answered the prayers of the saints, and you don't even know it. The children of Israel walked through the Red Sea, but they didn't even know that that was a miracle. The Bible says when they got to the other side and Pharaoh's army was drowned, then they shouted. You may be in a miracle right now. Oh, let me rush now. Don't expect your miracle to be the identical miracle that God performs for someone else. The guards never knew what happened. Herod denied that he actually had the guards executed because whatever explanation they gave as to how Peter escaped, they didn't, he didn't believe it. And so you may be sharing, I remember sharing how God had blessed me with the word because I was discouraged at seminary. And I told him, oh, I was so blessed by the, this dude preached. 
And he's he like, from California, I don't know California folk can preach like that. And I started telling some of my, my fellow seminarians about how my soul was just fed. And they said, well, he didn't exegete the text and his clinchings and paradigms. And by the time they got finished wrecking my miracle, I was back in discouragement again. Your miracle was for you. What, what God intends for you is for you. Sometimes you can't even share what God did for you because it wasn't for them. It was for you. You need to learn how to enjoy what God did for you. Here's another thing. You can forfeit your miracle by failing to obey. The angel opened the door, but Peter had to walk through. Peter didn't fully understand how God was going to deliver him, but all he knew is that somehow God was at work. He had enough sense to know that this was a dream or a vision. And so what he, what he didn't understand fully, he obeyed based on what was said because it was nothing that was said that didn't agree with God's word. God's trying to release a miracle to you. And you waiting for the Red Sea to part. And God said, you don't have to cross the Red Sea. Just get in a boat and go. <laughs> your disobedience will rob you of your miracle. And you will find yourself settling for something far less than what God intended. Because you didn't obey. Oh, I can hear some of us. That don't make no sense. I ain't about to get up and get killed, and maybe uh, I can't see, and, and I don't know you. You didn't identify yourself, and, and you need to tell me who you are and where you at in the Bible. No, no, no. Peter started getting dressed. He started walking. Everything he was told, he didn't question. Faith obeys God without fully understanding. If God said it, roll with it. Miracles can also bring deliverance and destruction. Peter got delivered, but the guards and Herod ended up dying. The Bible says that the worms ate Herod's body. You need to go and let, check that out. Now, why did God send an angel? I went through this. Peter didn't recognize the angels. That was what God was using. He, he thought it was a dream. The guards never saw him while the angel was talking. The light was on, moving Peter around. He's chained between the two guards. The, chain, the, the, the shackle dropped. They never know anything. Herod didn't deny the angel, acknowledge the angel. And then the, when, when he gets to Rhoda's, Rhoda answers the door, and he's knocking on the door. And she says, who is it? It's Peter. Who is it? It's Peter. And she's so shocked and overjoyed that Peter's there. She doesn't open the door. And then she runs back to the other saints who've been praying 24-7. They've had a, this is called a chain prayer. They've been praying for weeks 24-7 for Peter. And so she says, Peter's at the door. They said, you crazy. Peter's not at the door. We're still praying for Peter. And then they said, it must be an angel. Ooh, an angel again. Peter didn't recognize the angel. The uh, guards and Herod didn't rejected the angel. And the, and the people and the children of God said, Peter, who was real, standing at the door, he must be an angel. I want you to understand that when God sent this angel, what he was saying is, when the church comes together in corporate prayer, that's, my, that's the church's 911. The church gets God's attention. And to, to the degree that God said, I'm not just going to release this thing. I'm going to send an angel. They've got 16 guards. I only need one angel. They're going to take care of business here. But when the church comes together, that's like dialing 911 and somebody, the heaven's going to respond. 
And in heaven's response, he sends an angel. He sends an angel that they didn't even recognize. Let me quickly finish with this. When Peter is released, the place he goes is where prayer is being offered. The place to go when you get delivered, the place to go to give your testimony. The reason why you don't want to stay away from the church is because prayer, it, it, this is the epicenter. This is, this is the volcano that erupts and, and the heavens here. So the place where he goes is where prayer has been delivered and offered up. But I just want to share a couple things. I want you to notice the perplexity of prayer. You can pray faithfully without having faith that God will answer your prayers. You're just having devotions. We pray in our devotion, but you don't expect God to answer. When, when Peter showed up, the saints who have been praying that God would deliver him didn't believe it. I want you to know that here's how God operates. If you just stay faithful, you can do like the man who had the son who was demon possessed. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. God can work with your unbelief if you're honest. And in beyond that, God says we can be confident that if we ask anything according to his will, that is what he will do. He didn't say if you have enough confidence in his will, that you have enough faith, but we can be confident that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, even if we don't have enough faith. I know how many times we, I've been as a missionary pastor, money didn't come in, and I'm just pacing the floor. I don't even have sense enough to pray. And I'm praying and I'm pacing. I'm praying and I'm pacing. And, and, pray, and go to the mailbox. There it is. Why did God do it? Because it was his will, not my faith. How many of you know that many times you didn't even have sense enough to pray? You, you just got blessed. He blessed you in spite of you. My confidence is this, that God will do what is according to his will. It's not that I, I yeah, if I have the faith the size of mustard seed, but even if I don't, if I'm struggling with unbelief, he will do his will. He will do his will. And as God is doing his will, guess what happens to my faith? My faith increases to trust him. Let me hear the perplexity of prayer. You can be praying faithfully and never have faith to believe that God is going to do what you say. Praise that what happens when the church comes together and God answers, praise erupts. One of the things that are going to happen to us, our worship is going to deepen. When they finally realized it was Peter, the Bible said they were astonished. The word that's used in the Greek is that they went wild. They were just jumping and shouting and acting a fool. They got so outrageously out of control that Peter had to say, calm down, calm down. Let's not wake up the neighborhood. I want you to know when the church comes together in prayer, praise will break out. Then finally, the thing that happens is the proclamation of the word increased greatly. Verse 24 says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. The very thing that Herod was trying to shut down, the very thing that the devil was after in your life to keep you from the word, keep you from sharing the word, keep you from growing. When the church prays, God will cause the word to explode in ways that we would not imagine. God will bless you beyond what you could ask or even imagine. We can't even articulate some of the things that we desire and need from the Lord, but the Lord will bless us when the church prays. When the church prays. I'm, I'm done. I used to love baseball. Pretty good at it. 
They moved me to the varsity team in the 10th grade. Bad mistake, because there were excellent players on that team. But they didn't always show up for the game. And there's a simple rule in baseball. You have to have at least nine players to fill the team. And it doesn't matter how good or how powerful or how gifted the team is. If the players don't show up, we don't even have a chance to win a game. We forfeited games. We missed out on victories. Missed out on potential college scholarships because the sum of the team, sometimes we have seven players and eight players. I want you to know when it's time for the church to play, to pray because of the leadership being under attack and all the stuff that's going on in the world, the whole team needs to show up. I don't want your prayers. I don't want your, your, your resistance to hinder what God wants to release. And so I'm saying, show up, show up, show up, because something happens when the church, when the church prays, something happens when the church prays. Let's not forfeit blessings. You might be that ninth player. You might be that final person that's going to push the pile. That's what happens in football when, when there's a running play and they're just about to cross the goal and a fullback or a lineman will get behind the running back and just push him through. Your prayers is that push that will get us across the finish line. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Something happens when the church prays. There was so much in that passage so much in that passage. I challenge you to take time to just look at the word and then study examples of what happens whenever the church prayed. That doesn't mean that the person's always going to live or it's going to result in what you would like. But what we're confident in is that when the church prays, God hears us and he will always do what is best and what's right. And what is best and what is right will always bring him